Hello, a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who thinks using protection means you've hired a bodyguard. I'm ahead of the game. Hello all and welcome back to Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be looking at the rise of gonorrhea. Talking about a unique glimpse into British queer history with Tash Walker and seeing what you said when I asked our listeners for their pride stories. If you like what you hear then please rate, review or at least subscribe. And I hope you're ready, because I'm about to hand out some rubbers, baby! Hello, 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 dearest listener. Okay, quick question. Have you got the clap? Hmm? Do you know? Have Are you 100% certain? Have you checked recently? I ask because cases of gonorrhea have increased by 50% over the last 12 months. 50%? What are you all doing? Oh my God. Well, fortunately, it seems like a lot more of you are getting tested. So well done for those extra 13% of you who are. But the rest of you, you have got a lot to answer for. Gonorrhea is a really common STI, which, whilst it can be treated, can also lead to severe health problems if it's left untreated, especially for women. So Dr. Babak Ashrafi, a general practitioner specialising in sexual health and working for Superdrug Online Doctor, told Metro that it can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease. And this is a severe infection of the reproductive organs, which can cause infertility and chronic pelvic pain. And don't forget that it also affects men. Babak told us that untreated gonorrhea can cause epididymitis, 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 epididymitis. Anyway, it means a very painful inflammation of the testicles. Oh, Gonorrhea is transmitted via discharge from the genitals, so you can get it through unprotected vaginal, anal or oral sex. And my mate had gonorrhea of the throat. And believe me, you know when you've got that. So just just book a clinic appointment, okay? Just just whilst you're listening to this, just whilst you've got five minutes, for the love of God, just a check. And also if you've got any of the symptoms. So according to Babak, symptoms can include discharge from the penis or the vagina, pain or burning during urination, pain during sex, especially for women, and abnormal vaginal bleeding between periods. But some people with gonorrhea may not experience any symptoms at all. So it's even more important to get that appointment at the clinic. It is so important to remember to always use a condom, don't share sex toys and ensure you get regularly checked. Now remember, STIs are totally normal. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. We've all had them. It's totally cool. Just make sure you speak to a healthcare professional and get treated as soon as you can if you think you've got gonorrhea because it can only get worse. If you want to know more about the symptoms, how to get treated and any more information, head to the article, Gonorrhea Diagnosis Has It An All-Time High? What is it and how 
how can you avoid catching it over at metro.co.uk. But obviously not before my fascinating chat with this week's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, we are continuing to pour out our Pride specials like a hipster microbrewery. And this week we're doing a deep dive into its history and significance through a unique set of documents known as the Logbooks. My guide is a queer history enthusiast and co-host of the award-winning Logbooks podcast after finding them in an attic. She was also Switchboard's co-chair and I'm looking forward to seeing what it takes to bring these unique snapshots shots of the LGBTQ community to life. It's Tash Walker. Hello, how you doing? I am so good. I'm so excited for these. This is so, is that right? You found the logbooks whilst rummaging in an attic in some archives. Where did they come from? Yeah, so it, it's technically it's a crawl space is how it's <laughs> referred to. But um, yeah, it was, God, uh, I think maybe 2016, 2017, um we were looking through so switchboard is about 10 40 we were looking through all of these unopened boxes and just dust filled crevices within the building and uh, i opened one box and out of the boxes there are all these wonderful photos and boring you know minutes and all of these sorts of things and then i pulled out this book and it had logbook written on it and i'd sort of he- i've heard the rumors of these infamous logbooks um in the call room and around switchboard wow. And as I opened up this logbook, out fell these pages because they go back to 1974 when Switchboard first started. And these pages falling onto my lap were filled with these wonderful handwritten notes from volunteers about the calls that they had taken from the callers through to Switchboard from 1974 to 2003. It's like this amazing handwritten diary. It's living, breathing with laughter and tears and we worked to, me and, and some other people who were on the board at the time, worked to move the logbooks and the rest of Switchboard's incredible archive to Bishopsgate Institute, where it's held now in perfectly air-conditioned, um, yeah, down, downstairs in the basement. And then I just couldn't stop thinking about the logbooks. And so I spent the next two years reading them and cataloguing them and just diving into this incredible snapshot into British queer history um, mm. it, it's it's undoubtedly the best book I've ever read, and I mean it was it was a roller coaster ride, laughing one minute, crying the next. Yeah, I've I've only li- I've only managed to listen to a couple of episodes of the podcast, and even I'm like laughing and crying. I was like I was just explaining to producer Kelsey that I was just like going through the whole gamut of emotions, and that's just from the podcast. So let's rewind and tell people all about Switchboard and what these logbooks are. Yeah, okay. So Switchboard started back in 1974. It was off of the back of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality in England and Wales in 1967. You had this fantastic group, I'm sure many people have heard of, called the Gay Liberation Front, who were, you know, pioneering activists, still still going today. Um, And they set up many things, including Icebreakers, which is another support service, and also Gay News. And Gay News, uh, which is now Gay Times, started to get an ever-increasing number of calls to their offices asking, where can I go out? You know, where, where, how do I meet people like me? I feel like I might be gay. And they were a newspaper, so they weren't really best placed to answer these calls. So out of that and out of the GLF, uh, a number of fantastic uh, volunteers got together. Many of them had histories in being librarians, 
And they just started to collect this information and set up a phone line just open in the evenings in the basement of Hausman's Bookshop in King's Cross, which is still here today. And then fast forward to, you know, almost a year later in 1975, Switchboard was uh, 24 hours and the service was there. It was burgeoning and there was a need for it. And so Switchboard, I guess I always like to think of switchboard the community asks and switchboard answers and that's how switchboard started and yeah it's still going today it's going to be celebrating its 50th um anniversary next year wow it's, it's an inc- incredible service yeah and the logbooks were they were notes taken by the volunteers on the phone calls is that right yeah that's right so at the beginning of every shift um the volunteers at the time would tell me you'd walk into the phone room and you'd look at the logbook and you'd read what the calls were for the last time that you'd been on shift maybe it'd been a week maybe it'd been a couple of days an hour or so and and they were uh they were notes by the volunteers about the kind of calls that were taken so it could be anything from someone called up and they wanted to know uh, a good place for lesbians to go out um in in Bristol another call could be I've just been kicked out of home and I need somewhere to stay so mm. they're really 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 varied they're also fantastic because alongside all of these wonderful calls coming into switchboard you have this dialogue between the volunteers um <laughs> often often educating each other but also you have these little bickering fights about who's not done the washing up or I don't it's just it's 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 fantastic it's fantastic what a lovely bit of marginalia, isn't it? Yeah, Where you, yeah. you write down the, the little notes. What a lovely snapshot. That is so fascinating. And I, when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, my God, logbooks from a, a gay switchboard from a, a helpline in the 70s and 80s. How harrowing. That's just got to be really depressing. But actually... I listening to the podcast, it's it's like listening to an oral history of how a community came together, because it's not just it's not the, the harrowing AIDS crisis. It's it's about people trying to help people, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, it, you know, we have to look back in our histories, which let's face it, so many people are only really learning about today because of mm. many things like Section 28, um, which mm. was a law that came in in the 80s to stop um stop teachers uh talking to and youth workers talking to young people about being gay um so lots of our history hasn't been heard of it's been censored and it's been hidden and our history is wonderful and it's rich and it is difficult to hear about the stories of the um, AIDS crisis in the 80s and early 90s and the police raids in the 70s and early 80s but actually what you're learning about is human stories of care, community and compassion and coming together as a collective to fight for something that they believe in, which is true equality. True equality, no matter how you identify when it comes to your sexuality or gender identity. And it's a really wonderful artifact because so I mean, me as as a as a 37-year-old person today, I I grew up under Section 28. My entire school education was under that. And so mm. there was this missing gap in in me I think and in, in understanding who I was as a queer person and what and in doing making this podcast meeting all of these wonderful queer elders of mine that's been filling in for me I'm sort of building my queer ancestry and I'm learning and it's helping me I think be a better queer person today to still push for those fights which aren't over yet to strive for a better society to strive for equality but it's given me faith and there's so much to be learned from from our history um, because so much does repeat and the Mm. challenges that were faced by gay people back then are being faced by trans people today and and I think if we come together if we look back and learn from our past and I think we 
we will we will be able to fight for a better future. What are some of those themes that are being repeated? Because it seems so insane that 50 years and we should have learned and we should be better. And it seems insane that we've got these these same things coming back from the 70s to 2023. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so easy to draw the parallels between what's happening today around gender identity and what was happening then around sexuality. So you've got people whose jobs are at risk. You know, you would you'd lose your job if you came out in the 70s or someone knew that you were publicly gay. Access to, to health care, if you look at the AIDS crisis, doctors didn't know what was going on there. You look at what's happening around trans health care today, mm. people walking down the streets, how dangerous it was to be gay. The fact that it was seen as a mental illness, that, you know, you could be sectioned for being homosexual. You look at what's happening now around trans health care and trans rights just day-to-day living and surviving of support. And then if you look at a really direct parallel that we're looking at, and I mentioned earlier is Section 20, 28. So that, that, that it's a, we know legislation is always so wordy, but it came under Thatcher's government um, and it was a law that prohibited people from talking about pretended family relationships. So basically mm. children at schools couldn't reach out to teachers to talk about maybe being gay. You weren't technically allowed to teach anything that referenced that and teachers themselves their lives are at risk you know Mm. if they if they supported a child or if they came out their job may well be lost it was technically illegal and then you look at what's happening today around sex education healthcare, and at schools and what's experienced by trans people Mm. it's it's so so shocking I think the parallels are so strong and I think we have to stand together and yeah I, I ultimately I think that really within our communities and within any kind of general um oppression that no one who is being oppressed until all of us aren't being oppressed then none of us are safe and Mm. you see what's happening when it when it's with trans rights at the moment it's heartbreaking and you see the surveys that are being released the Ipsos survey that came out recently where you know the UK and Ilga's survey UK is just dropping further and further and further down what is happening we're talking about people here yes statistics are being quoted and that you know you can get into all of these like conversations and debates around bathroom wars or whatever it is that the media is is jumping onto the the same media who jumped onto same-sex people and gay men in the 80s and 90s when it came to AIDS but what we're actually talking about is an individual person a real person just like you and me who feels lonely who feels afraid and who who wants to just be themselves Mm. I mean what's wrong with that (laughs) it's a (laughs) no-brainer it it really like it seems that way <laughs> but do you think things like pride help with that or do you think pride has become like christmas where it's become oh all these brands jump on it for the month of june and then the rest of the time you, you know they they don't have anything to do they're part of the problem or do you think we can use pride to help raise the issues of the trans community yeah i mean pride has its roots in protest and in awareness and um an opportunity to walk down the street and be who you are and stand up for that right i think that pride is very different now to what it once was but it's still an opportunity where the world looks at lgbtq plus people and i think it's about how that is used you know pride we're queer every day every single bloody day so we are living every single day but Pride and the many am- amazing prides that are popping up all over the, the world, tra- you know, trans prides, pride in London, and then different prides across the UK and globally. What it's doing is it's giving an opportunity for the media to look into that moment and for these brands. So the, the whole pink washing thing is such a complicated issue. 
I think that if a corporate brand wants to come in and support Pride, then they need to look internally at what is happening within their company. Do they have the right policies? Do they have the right networks? Are they truly an ally when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights? And then we add that, you know, question on and extend it a bit further. What, you know, does that brand, does that corporate entity have um, offices globally in countries where maybe it is a capital offence to be LGBTQ plus? If they do, are they working with those communities there? What are they doing in those countries? Many of those Mm. countries being you know, colonial laws that are hangovers from, you know, the UK and what the UK did in Britain. But um, I think these are the things that, that, that we do need to talk about. And I think that in today's society, you need people who are protesting and direct action coupled with working with the legislators and working with corporate brands, because ultimately queer people exist everywhere. And it's wonderful that we have activists who are out there and shouting and pushing for it. We need them, but also queer people run the news agents down the road and Mm. they're your accountant or your librarian and it's not for everyone to stand up and shout I'm queer I'm gay I'm trans um let me fight for my rights but I think it's about acceptance and acknowledging that queer people exist everywhere and it's about pushing for true equity which is not just getting equality uh, in terms of what heterosexual cis het people have but asking us what we want um and and we exist everywhere so I think Pride is an opportunity to push for that. I I love that. And I love that you're so passionate about it. And you're so eloquent as well. How did you get on onto this? When when you when did you start going, right, I want to learn more about the history and I want to become an activist? What was your journey into it? Oh god, yeah, that's a big question. Uh I, I reached out <laughs> to a teacher when I was at school and they weren't able to talk to me. Um, and I felt very mm. isolated and alone. I grew up in Plymouth, so in the southwest. Uh, it was quite a homophobic city, I found. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, and I left and I moved to uni in Bristol as soon as I could. And I joined the LGBT society there. Sort of some of, you know, many of my friends say I was sort of born shouting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's been a real journey for me. And, and, and I joined um, Bristol Switchboard, which is shut now. Many of the switchboards have shut around the UK. Um, when I was at university and uh, and we used to direct people through to what was then called London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard. And I have to really say that a lot of, of my experiences, and I, and I think it's probably fair to say may, many other activists, is that it's rooted in something that you struggle with within yourself. Deep-rooted shame and not understanding that. Something always missing and it not quite making sense. Who am I? Like, what is this about? Why does it, why do I feel so afraid? And I came out young. And I had a lot of homophobia um, thrown at me because of that. And it it made me want other people not to have to experience that. And mm. I think in when I moved to London, I knew I just had to join Switchboard. And like 11 years later, I have changed because of Switchboard. You know, you join Switchboard to, be want, to want to help other people. But it would be, I would be lying if it says there's not something driving me internally. And that was trying to understand who I was. And try to combat this, and you know, internalized homophobia and shame. And through Switchboard and through the logbooks, I've met so many incredible people. I found my queer family. I've I've put the puzzles, the puzzle pieces, into my past, and I'm so much happier and stronger for it. And I, I just, I, I love, I love, love, love being queer. I love being gay. I'm so proud to be gay and I never thought I would say that 15 years ago. So 
I'm driven by how lucky I feel like I am. You know, I'm going off on one here, but I think when you are LGBTQ plus and you're born into a world where you're not necessarily seen in, and you know, mm. as a really young kid, it doesn't quite make sense. You don't really understand why. So you start to look at the world differently. You sort of like take it apart and put it back together where you make sense within it. And that gives us a really unique way of thinking. We look at the mm. world and we think, you know what? Maybe the world could work a bit differently. Let's pull that <laughs> apart and let's break it back together you know, and build it the way that we see it. And I'm really grateful for that. Obviously, it came out of oppression and negativities, but um, I'm so proud to be who I am. And I'm so proud to meet anyone who is LGBTQ plus and coming out is your own journey and you do it on your own time. And when people are ready mm. to do that, whether you're a young one like I was or you're 60, then, you know, we're here as a community ready to welcome you in. Also, I want to say that, like, the power of allies is really important. And this harks back to your point on pride. You know, we can't ch push for change on our own. We have to do it with allies. And we would never have got all of the rights that we've got today if it wasn't for LGBTQ plus allies externally and within the communities itself. So um, I think people coming out in support of queer rights who aren't necessarily, you know, don't identify in those ways themselves is fantastic. And yeah, I push so many more people to do that if you can and feel able to. I'm so excited about the the logbooks as well, because there just seems to be like lots of different themes that the same themes that crop up. What are some of the themes that you've discovered in there that that kept coming up? Yeah, it's actually, it's a really good question. I think it's it's a complicated question because throughout the 1974 to 2003, reading all of those logbook entries and then being on the phones at the same time um, and being on the board at Switchboard as a trustee then, I was actually really upset by the themes that did keep coming up and it was mm. themes of shame, isolation and loneliness. And they were all calls that, we, that were still happening then and that are still happening now. And you think, mm. how in the last 50 years are we still experiencing this, these, these levels of these themes um, mm. in the calls that come through? You know, you see a call, you know, in 2002, um, and it's someone who had tried to reach out to a school and the school had cited Section 28 and they couldn't support them. And you look at where we're mm. at today, trans kid has reached out to school to try and support them to use their right pronouns, and then they've told their parents. So it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? We're still pushing for the same things. And I think education is a really important mm. part of it. And also, you know, the history that we're talking about today, if you can look back and learn on what's happened before, then you're better placed to be able to support people in the here and now. Um, but yeah, I mean, throughout those, you know, 50 years at Switchboard, throughout all the milestones of LGBTQ plus history, uh, I think the, the calls around loneliness and isolation just ring so, so true. Mm. And being mm. the co-chair co during lockdown, um, was a real stark reminder of that. We were actually making season two of the logbooks during that period of time. So stuck oh. at home in this pandemic and season two covered the 80s, the HIV and AIDS crisis. Um, mm. And I actually spoke to one of the people who's in the podcast, this um, previous volunteer at Switchboard called Stephen, who um, we were reading these logbook entries of him finding out that he was HIV positive, really mm. struggling with that. And then I interviewed him through a laptop and he he broke down and cried because he was in lockdown on his own because he was vulnerable and he just mm. wanted a hug he just wanted mm. a hug and you just got those themes coming back round and round and round again but what yeah. is what has changed which is cool 
is that the number of people contacting us who are teachers, who are healthcare professionals, who are friends, families, even partners are reaching out to Switchboard to understand how they can better help someone that they know who is going through something. And, and that's fantastic, I think. But there's also there's also difficult ones because there is all the, the calls um, that are sad and that, you know, really are very heart wrenching. And then there's the kinky ones. <laughs> <laughs> there's what is the conversation you have in your head where you're like, well, yes, you know, we have this point and we have this history. But there's also these ones like uh, so I think about the accommodation ones where yeah. it's like, oh, you could share my bed. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the ones that have a very difficult slice of of history. What is the conversation you have in your head about publishing those? Oh, well, I just think it's truth, isn't it? I think that um, if you think about the LGBTQ plus communities as a microcosm of wider society within the communities you've got and we have had. Yeah, people who abuse positions of power and age. Um, you've got people who are sexist. You've got people who are racist. You've got people who are homophobic, transphobic. We're a slice of society and not owning our history and the complications in it, I think is a, it would be a really bad thing to do. It would be glorifying our past. It would be not telling the truth because all of these things have happened and they're, they're still happening today. So mm. unless we look back and we really own those mistakes and are made aware of what has happened historically, then who are we to sort of push for a better society and also talk about, you know, LGBTQ plus people being the best people in the world. We're we're everywhere. We are everyone from the most fantastic people to the more questionable people. And I think you have to own that. And I think that's part of being accepted yourself and, and in society. So, yes, I did not shy away. We did not shy away from putting those complicated uh, you know, lobby entries and conversations from callers, but also internally within the organisation, you know, um, there were times where there was a lot of sexism happening within the organisation because that was, you know, a reflection of what was happening in wider society. And also there was transphobia and biphobia because that was what was happening in wider society. And all movements have these complications. But if you're a good movement and there are good people within it, you grow and you evolve and you learn from it. What what if someone wanted to call switch? What is the state of mind? If there's someone listening to this and they're like, I'm not too sure where I stand, I'm I'm really confused about myself. What is your advice about picking up that phone and calling switchboards? I think, yeah, that's a really good question because I think one of the biggest barriers to people contacting switchboard is that they don't think that their problem is big enough, that they're in a bad enough place. But I would just say if it's something on your mind and it's something that you can't quite work out or it's bothering you, no matter how small, then that's what Switchboard's there for. It's there to listen. It's there to support you. It's there to help educate. Um, but ultimately, it's to create a space for you to be able to explore whatever is bothering you, no matter how small or how big your question is or what it is that you just want to talk about. It's it, it Switchboard is there for you. Um, and it's a fantastic service. And everyone who works there, volunteers there, self-identifies as LGBTQ plus themselves. So you you are speaking to someone who probably hasn't gone through exactly what you've gone through because we all have our own experiences. They're all individual, but they know what it feels like to try and work out something that doesn't feel quite right. Are there any common arguments that are in the office today? Is there any double-ended dildo chat that you you have between yourselves? No, I, 
I don't I don't think so but you learn a lot from from callers I think and and that's the key thing I think to switchboard surviving and thriving is that it listens and if it doesn't know the answer then it will find the answer out um, educate itself and then be able to help people in the future so I think of it as a really responsive service it's part of the community and it's there sort of in this wonderful dialogue with the callers and that dialogue mm. always continues to evolve and, and change. What if someone found your logbooks in 50 years? What do you think would be the things that they would see? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's all online now. I don't know. It's a good question. You know, I, I made some audio recordings during lockdown because we had to make a really difficult call to shut the phone room for the first time in switchboards, at, you know, 47 yeah. years then. Um, mm. because of wanting to protect our volunteers and what was happening in the wider climate. And then the next day, we took our first ever remote call on the 24th of March, 2020. And so I thought, oh, you know what? I'm just going to record these. I haven't listened back to them yet. So I guess oh, no. there's those slightly frantic um, voice notes from me. Um, yeah. I think what you'll, you'll find is what Switchboard is always, has always been, and that is a wonderful dialogue of people pushing and gently challenging each other to be better for the callers, for themselves and for our communities. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful organisation and everyone who has volunteered for it over the last 49 years and, and does today are really quite incredible people. And if people wanted to find you, if people wanted to call Switchboard, what is the number and where can they find out more information? So the number is 0800 0119 100. Uh, you can also reach out to Switchboard um, through instant messaging on the website at switchboard.lgbt and you can also email switchboard to hello at switchboard.lgbt that's brilliant thank you so much for your time tash walker yeah no worries my thanks to tash walker that how fascinating i Love that. And do you know what? One of the things that I've never really thought of was Section 28, because to me, hey, look, I'm in my 40s. I'm thinking I know about queers. I know about queer history. I'm an LGBTQ plus IA ally. But what I hadn't really realised was that, no, I didn't have any education when I was growing up because we all lived under Section 28. So that really does explain why things like pride and why things like being an ally is important and why things like queer education and, and finding documents like these as little bits of treasure are so important. If you want to see the logbooks, you can see them down in Bishopsgate Institute. That's a fabulous archive in London. Or you can find out more online or go and listen to the Logbooks podcast. I have once again delved into the fun bags and last week I asked you for your stories of pride. Katie on my Instagram stories, she says, I don't have any pride stories as this year is going to be my first. I'm going with my mum who I came out to last year and going to a pride parade was her idea. Oh, lovely bit of solidarity from Katie's mum. Very nice. Uh, anonymous... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is from a friend of mine, so I'm not going to say his name, but he said, Miri, I can't stand crowds. Hats off to the youngsters for all the pageantry, but I shall be cruising on the heath like any other Saturday, like the old gay I am. <laughs> I don't know why I did it in that voice. He doesn't sound like that, but I told you I would keep you anonymous. So enjoy your cruising. Uh, Mikey, he said, last year I fell off the stage at London Pride and broke my ankle. So if I can get away from Pride, not in an ambulance, that's going to be a win. Oh, no. (laughs) Surely going home in an ambulance is all part of it. Uh, You're doing the Lord's work, Mike. Well done. Now, in honour of our fabulous guest finding treasure in the depths of a cruel space this week, I want to know your kinky finds. Have you stumbled on your parents' sex toys? Did you discover your boyfriend's secret lingerie? Tell me all about your tawdry treasures. You can find me on Instagram. It's Miri Kane. You can slide into my DMs or email smutdrop at metro.co.uk. I've been Miranda Kane. Smutdrop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. If you are enjoying this weekly squirt of audio lube to the ear holes, and why wouldn't you, please leave me a nice review. In the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. But if you do, then name it after me. Hold up. 